Ready? Hey, everybody. Welcome to reading day. We're going to go a day early today because I have an appointment tomorrow afternoon. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour or so. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state, which means if you have a paranormal issue or you think you have one, we can get to you. It might take us a while. It might take us a couple days because California, <clears throat> excuse me, allergies is a big state. But we will get to you. Um, and one of the biggest things that goes on is we have psychics on staff to call you and speak with you about what may or may not be going on in your home and business. And uh, that kind of stalls things. And, and, and they have a way of uh, calming things down. Because sometimes, like I said, California is this huge state. So, you know, it might take us a while. You'd be surprised. You know, a lot of people think of California like Hawaii, right? We've got surfers and all that going on. We do. We do have that stuff going on. But we also have areas up north that are, that are full of wood, wooded areas, Sasquatch, right? we got areas up north where people actually surf, but they surf in wetsuits because it's too damn cold to surf in a just, you know, bathing suit. But uh, then we have, we've also got farmland. We've also got, you know, deserts, high desert, low desert, mountains, a lot of uh, rural areas. So that's why it may take us a couple days to get to you, even though I've got people up and down the state. Welcome, everybody. We usually don't do this on the Saturday night, but uh, I decided to do this because I've got some some things going on tomorrow. So just thought we'd get this, get this in today. So for everybody watching from TikTok, I just want to say this up front. We are a PG-13 slash rated R channel. So if there's anything that I read, because I'm going to be reading from a paranormal theme book, which is what I do every week. If there's anything that offends you that I'm reading, just move on. Don't, you know, don't turn me into the TikTok police. I mean, let's be adults here, okay? I'm letting you know what type of channel it is, and, you know, there might be something offensive. I don't know. I've had these paranormal books that have offensive things in them, all right? I'm just trying to read, entertain, and, you know, maybe you're sitting having dinner or getting ready for bed on the East Coast, and uh, you want to have a good story? Well, we got a good story for you, okay? I'm going to be reading Omnipresent, and Omnipresent, this is... Yes, this is the second part two of Omnipresent by Lynn Monet. Um, Lynn Monet was a nurse who saved up enough money to buy her family a new house because they were living in a in double wide. And uh, she purchased this house. And as they were moving in, they discovered that there were things in this house going on that she didn't know what was going on. And some of it was, and a lot of it was paranormal, and a lot of it was dark. A lot of dark paranormal stuff going on in this house. And so she had to sell sell the house. This is part two, the continuation of that, because while she was discovering what was going on in this house, she also discovered that she had psychic abilities as well. But she also afterwards did research for, on the people that purchased the house and uh, talked to them a lot. But, she, uh, but like I said, along the, along the way, she learned a lot about her psychic abilities, a lot about ghost hunting and things like that. This is a this is, this is a true story. This is her account of what happened when she you know when she purchased the house and after. She got rid of the house, okay? All right, I do have a live goal of 100 Lucy Llamas today. You're not required to do that. Uh, you know, I'm not pushing anybody to send me money or anything like that, but I do have bills due. I have $300 in bills due right now, and I need to get stuff paid, and I don't have the money to pay them. I've had medical expenses come up. So if you would find it in your heart to help me out during the show, that would be great. That goes for Facebook. That goes for YouTube. That goes for TikTok. That goes for everybody, all right? 
All right, so that being said, let me get this over here. If you are watching from Facebook and you like what you see tonight, please be sure to hit that like button or hit that follow button because I'm, all, I, I'm always looking for followers. Uh, YouTube, same thing. Uh, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We are 291 away from 1,000 subscribers on YouTube. So we've, we're, we're chugging away at this. We're, we're like the little show that could, all right? Also, we just I just got a note on YouTube or from YouTube saying that uh, we hit the 75,000 view mark. 75,000 people have watched the show. Fantastic. Thank you, guys. You're terrific. But again, if you like what you see and you're on Facebook or YouTube, be sure to either follow or subscribe. And uh, that would be great. Uh, otherwise, leave a, leave a thumbs up. Leave a heart. Show me some love. Uh, same thing for TikTok. I do have subscriptions available if you'd like to join the Boo Crew. We're going to be giving away all kinds of gifts and stuff when we hit 50 Boo Crew members. And uh, I've got some really interesting paranormal gifts that I'm going to be giving away. Might be, I might have some investigation equipment, co you know, coffee cups, things like that. If you're interested in that sort of thing, I can give that away. But I have to have you know, 50 subscriptions to do it, so that would be nice. And again, if you feel in your heart that you can uh, donate a little bit, that would be great as well. Uh, you know, you don't, it's, it's not required. Okay, that being said, welcome. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on YouTube. You can find us on Twitch. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on TikTok. And you can find us over at Meetup. On Facebook, we are California Haunts, California Haunts Radio. On, on Instagram, we are Ghosty Gal. That would be me, all lowercase. Um, TikTok, we are California Haunts. On YouTube, we are California Haunts or California Haunts Radio. That's YouTube.com forward slash at California Haunts Radio. Or on Twitter, we are California Haunts, and on Twitch, we are Cal Haunts. <sighs> See, we're all done with that. Okay, a couple more quick announcements before we get rolling with this. Um, if you're interested in learning how to do proper EVP work with your team, and a lot of people are, I can train you to do that. I've been doing this for 18 years, and I know all the ins and outs, and I know all the ins and outs about the... Uh, the uh, audio software and I can I can tell I've got a class going over for the at the California Hots meetup if you guys are interested in learning how to do the proper you know at the, you know DVP procedure EVP processing all that stuff I can I can teach you how to do that all right great if you're into meditation and you want to mellow out after you get off work and you're living on the east coast I have 3:30 meditation club 3:30 p.m. pacific meditation club every day okay and if it's something that you might be interested in Come on over to the California Haunts Meetup and join up over there. Same thing if you live on the West Coast. I have a 7.45 p.m. Pacific Meetup Club. Okay? I'm sorry, Meditation Club. Too many M's, right? Okay. So, again, I'm going to be reading from the book Omnipresent, What Happened. Now, last week, we left off kind of in the middle of, or towards the end of Chapter 10, I kind of got lost of where we were at. So I want to start a chapter 10 this week so we can kind of do a rehash just to make sure I know where we're at. And I do believe that we're getting closer to finishing the book. So so I may go on. You know, if it seems like we're getting super close to finishing it, I may just continue on tonight to wrap it up this week. If not, we'll still continue next week. But I will be reading for about an hour. Okay. And as I'm trying to build my, my uh, presence up on TikTok, if you could do me a favor, if you like what you hear tonight, be sure to, to, to double tap that screen. Show me some love. But let's say we have a goal of 3,000 hearts. Okay. 3,000 likes, 3,000 hearts on TikTok. And you guys over here on, uh, on uh, 
way ahead of myself on it. You guys over here on Facebook and YouTube, you know what to do. You know the routine. That you, and and you've, been, you've been there, done that with me, so you guys know the routine. But again, um, if you find it in your hearts to help me out a little bit with that $300 goal, I would love it because right now <laughs> the, bills are, the bills are coming through and they're not getting paid. All right. All right, here we go. We want to keep this show on the air, gang. So omnipresent, what happened next? Chapter 7, or Chapter 10. And again, that go, this goes for you guys over on Facebook and YouTube as well, and Twitch. If the subject matter bothers you, just move on. Find someone else to watch, right? you got Disney guys on. you got all this other stuff going on. PG-13 rated R, okay? All right, so the top is the reason why I say that is we're going to start out with a chapter that's that's called suicide. All right, so like again, if you're uncomfortable, just move on. Don't get me banned. Just move on. This is not what this is about. This is a place for people that like that that want that want to hear a really good paranormal book read to them. This is where this is where to hang out. Okay. All right, please double tap that screen, and uh, I'd appreciate it. Because I'm trying to build up my my presence on TikTok and on all the other networks. So here we go. My allergies. One hour. A lot of people have loved have lo have had loved ones that have committed suicide. They wonder if the person is on the other side or if they went to the proverbial hell, according to Christian beliefs. The answer is not really either. It all depends on the circumstances. Are the circumstances caused by mental illness or drug addiction? Was it on purpose or accidental? Was the suicide, which rarely happens, planned before them coming into this lifetime? Was it out of selfishness and trying to get even with one another? Was it out of fear and cowardice to avoid re repercussions of previous actions? Was, was there demonic or gin or arcane involvement? Was it a person who could not fully understand what committing suicide entailed? such as in the case of a child who commits suicide on a dare, or because a child's friend did it, so they did it too, to be like their friend. Was the suicide victim forced to do it through persuasion, threats of harm? Did they refuse help? What were the influences leading up to it? Was it spur of the moment, or was it thought out and planned? Were they saving someone else's life by taking theirs? The list goes on and on. It's very complex. However, understanding comes quickly once on the other side. One's guides and loved ones who were with them every step of the way from their birth already knows the details. They know one's goals on earth. They know the opportunities that were passed by or overlooked by the person. They understand the effect the suicide victim had on those who came into the earthly plane with the agreement to work with this person on meeting each other person's goals. Parentheses. This includes children that were coming into life through the, through the person that are now delayed or scrambling to find another way to enter that may not be as ideal, affecting their way of life and their prearranged arrangements with others. End of parentheses. Again, the dynamics are complex. The saying that God won't give you more than one candle perhaps is true, providing everything falls into place perfectly, like it does on the other side, and everyone involved is doing their part the way they're expected to but they don't always do that. Some people may not be aware that everyone chooses their parents and siblings. This includes abusive ones. One may choose an abusive parent because they are meeting karma and they were abusive as parents to their children in, in their life. 
Abuse breeds abuse. When one is born into abuse and survives to have their own children, they can finalize the, the, the karmic debt by, by learning how to parent in a more effective way without abuse and raise their children in that way. One chose the family that they chose to come into so that they would be reared in such a way that the goals that they have in their lifetime are within their ability to achieve. They may also be repaying a karmic debt. <clears throat> Excuse me, got my allergies. <clears throat> that is due. This is not a perfect world because of that. God also had people come in to formulate depression and anxiety medications, which, when taken as prescribed, will help those who are over. <clears throat> Excuse me. Wow. Let me take some water. Hang on, guys. Okay. Allergies. Okay, God also had people come in. My eyes are even watering. I'm, I'm coughing so hard. God also had people come in to formulate depression and anxiety medications, which when taken as prescribed will help those who are overwhelmed and unable to focus or stay on track in life. Hang on a second. Okay. Okay. Because of their depression or anxiety issues. There are a lot of outside sources, some that people can't even see, trying to knock people off course. Just about everything one does in life, they've done before. Sometimes multiple times. Because they didn't meet their goal the first or second time around. Perhaps that is why there seems to be more addiction than ever. People did not overcome it in previous lives. Yes, people reincarnate. But some people are helper incarnates. Reincarnates <clears throat> return because they didn't complete their checklist in the previous lifetime and have come in again to finish, parentheses, and possibly have new things to accomplish as well, end of parentheses. An, an incarnate comes in because they choose to, not because they had to. They volunteer in order to help others meet their goals. Anyone who doesn't believe in reincarnation should ask themselves, where do babies come from? Where do people go after they take their last breath? The answer is the same place. They come and go. Everyone comes and goes. This world appears somewhat more harmless when being viewed from the billowy clouds above, while basking in the elation and unconditional love of the other side. This is usually when one makes their decision on what they will come to earth for, what their goals will be, and who will be with them in their life to help them accomplish what they need to. Then, when one arrives here, on the third plane, all kinds of negative forces, which they did not even consider, constantly try to influence and derail them. These negative souls want to snuff out one's, God, one's God's light and turn it into darkness or death. They create chaos and mayhem in life. They want people to commit suicide. They encourage a person to commit suicide because they know the future of the victim. The importance of the victim's future in the grand scheme of things and the positive rippling effect that, that the future would create. They want to stop it. Again, if you're uncomfortable hearing this, just move on, you know, find someone else to listen to. Even if one's future holds nothing more than being in the right place at the right time to save another's life, it was intended for them to save that life. So many good things could come from the person who was saved or their future children. They may donate a kidney to someone, or their child may grow up to be a doctor 
that invents something life-saving, or the person themselves might be a very important vessel to others to come through that will lead to bigger and better things. Suicide is not an option that helps things to move forward in life. If one is suffering from a breakup, someone cheating on them, or getting robbed, it is a depth from a time when they did the same to someone else. It may have even occurred in the current lifetime. If one reflects back, they may remember, or it occurred in a previous one. Either way, one should learn from it and do better. Opting out of one's problems with suicide is not the answer because one will repeat the scenario of their life over and over again until they get things right. So they should own their problems instead of trying to escape and be humble to make better choices. The first two weeks for a human when embodied are the worst. It is quite a shock. Then things start to get better. As long as one isn't double or triple dipping, aka setting oneself up for more anguish and suffering by allowing a toxic person or situation back into their life or holding on to hopeless hope. How many times has one seen another grasping at straws in an, abuse, in an abusive or one-sided relationship, pleading to have it remain or return? An abusive relationship is one that does not balance. It doesn't meet another's needs in some way, shape, or form, causing pain and anguish. The person becomes desperate to control the outcome so they can avoid suffering the loss. Everyone has either seen someone go through this or have been there themselves, whether they want to admit it or not. A prime example of this would be a person who is in a relationship with someone who is already married to someone else. This would, not, this would be not only considered one-sided, but also a triple-dipping relationship, for one thing. If the married lover does leave their spouse for their affair partner, statistics show that 85% of the time that person will not only cheat again, but have a leave a situation for another. Why would anyone set themselves up for that? A person might rationalize it by saying, well, their lover isn't happy with the person they're married to and is going to leave the spouse. But their married lover will feed them crumbs and string them along for as long as they can. Because while they do, they have the best of both worlds. The spouse thinks they are faithful, and the lover waits with bated breath for more crumbs. Does one really think they are not messing around with their spouse because they said they're not? They're lying to their spouse about cheating. So why would they not lie to their lover about sleeping with their spouse? Or, if they admit to being intimate with their spouse once out of a hundred times, supposedly just to appease their spouse, does one really think they didn't enjoy it enough to be pleasured to the point of climax for the spouse? They didn't do it to appease the spouse. They did it because they got something out of it, too. One shouldn't kid themselves. Why would anyone want to put themselves in that situation to begin with? Talk about setting oneself up for failure and prolonged agony. It should be understood that one is responsible for choosing the people who inflict pain upon them. Subconsciously, they choose these people intentionally to experience the pain they cause someone else at a different time or in a different life. If one thinks suicide is the way to escape, think again. There is no escape from karma. A person who takes their own life goes to hell, but not the way you might think. It is the hell of having to relive the same life over and over, the abuse, the suffering, until one gets it right. God doesn't punish someone for ending their contact early, contract early. They punish themselves. Having one's loved ones watching from above 
trying to guide them so they don't have to keep repeating something is not easy for the loved ones to watch either. The only difference is they can be patient because they can see the long-term outcome of one's struggles. They know when to step in and when to step back. The people on earth can be stubborn creatures of habit sometimes. And on top of that, people are endowed with emotions and gonads, which people don't have on the other side. That can lead them in the wrong direction. Another thing people don't realize from the other side, when one is asked before coming to earth, are you sure you want to do all this? And they reply, yes. They don't always think about how overwhelming it will be if their earthly tasks happen all at once, or one after the other, or overlapping. One is then pulled in six directions, as the saying goes. Nothing good in life comes easy. Nobody gets, <clears throat> gets it easy in life. People are here to learn and improve themselves and make up for, grie for grievous mistakes that they've made. They are here to control their emotions and become in tune with the central part of themselves that allows them to communicate readily with those on the other side. The way suicide is handled on the other side is, is complex and not what one might expect. The Christian Bible contains passages that talk about suicide. However, a lot of the original books of the Bible have been removed and others were rewritten to accommodate traditional religion. There is no first edition of the Bible still in existence. There are copies from the first 200 years that were handwritten. However, a lot was misinterpreted or omitted. Lynn has a Bible. Lynn is the writer of the book, by the way, Lynn Monet. However, she looks at it and beyond it for the knowledge that isn't written down. Lynn channeled her parents, sister, and brother from the other side to help her answer the question of how suicide is handled. The real answer is not the one people may have been taught from traditional religion. When we come into this lifetime, Lynn's father said from the other side, we are under a contract, so to speak. And in that contract, we are not only here to accomplish things, but also to help others complete their goals as well. This, in turn, raises one's vibration. The importance of raising one's vibration can allow one to be in the third and fifth planes at the same time. It's also known as being in a state of heaven on earth, where one can manifest with one thought and have a direct connection with their higher source, God, Jesus, and all the above. There are principles people already know but have to relearn while on earth that will help embody one's raise their that will help embody one's raise their own vibrations. The principles are already in one's mind and are located in the part of the earthly brain that is least known by doctors. It would make one's life so much easier if they were connected with higher heavenly beings' frequency. But it takes a lot of dedication and consistent effort to be able to do this. Unfortunately, most souls on earth are either unaware of this possibility or don't bother. All people have freedom of choice, but that is freedom to choose how they accomplish their goals and whether they do or not. So there is a boundary in life. Multiple paths are given to the same goal. So people do get to choose how they get there. Each person is part of a bigger puzzle, and each is equally important. No one person is more important than the other. Family networks, spouses, and friends have all been planned for a person's life before that person enters. Each relies on the other. So when suicide happens, it gets in the way of that. Everyone comes to Earth to fulfill their obligations as well as help others fulfill theirs. However, sometimes suicide does happen. 
when suicide does occur, it's very similar to a sudden death. In sudden death, the soul can be overwhelmed by the reception that is preferred for them by those who are still living. The soul needs to understand that they have died. It can often take a while for a soul to acknowledge and digest this if the victim didn't know consciously death was coming, and therefore not have prepared for the transition. The soul will go through its stages of disbelief, bargaining, and finally acceptance. Then the reception comes. Death is not a surprise for a suicide victim. They committed the act themselves, so they know they're going to die. However, once it happens, their soul usually stands and looks around and sees their lifeless body. At this point, they may start seeking help, which they do not find because most humans cannot see them or hear them. The victim then goes through different emotions, such as sadness and loss, and the finality of what they have done starts to sink in. Sometimes the victim will try to bargain for their life. Then they reach acceptance. There is no reception from the heavenly realm to greet them. They stand alone, because the soul has not crossed over. They still have emotions. Often fears were the first ones. Often acceptance and deep remorse. The deep remorse is sometimes caused by the act of suicide itself, or the reflection of their life as a whole. Most souls linger for a while, questioning what they did, and see loved ones finding their body. They are then made to feel the agonizing sorrow they have caused as their loss touches each person's life. At this point, the soul usually wanders in regret after seeing what they've caused, the pain and the suffering they intended to avoid by committing suicide does not compare to the raw emotions. They are made to bear for their loss in others' lives. Had they only known this ahead of time, they may have made the choice to continue living. God does not punish them. They punish themselves. This punishment is unavoidable. Suicide is not supposed to be attractive. It's not supposed to happen. The heavenly spirits and loved ones watch the soul closely from their side. Any assistance is held back until the cycle has completed. A soul of high ranking is sent down and it is determined whether the lost soul wishes to return home or stay earthbound. Often, just the vision of such a holy being brings the soul to their knees and causes them to, to run in fear and attempt to hide. The soul is given a life review and is shown visions of what their life would have been if the contract had been completed. After that, if they want to stay earthbound, they are released into the torturous fourth dimension, where they often become stuck. The fourth dimension is like living on earth with no body, but with the ability to see gruesome sights of the dark and dead. Existing in the fourth dimension can often mean being pursued by demons or dominant angry evil souls that have no mercy. The lost soul will continue to feel the anguish and sorrow they have caused for the remainder of their lives, of the lives of those they've hurt. The soul is left wandering with no way to communicate, stuck interdimensionally, and lost for a very long time. Eventually, the universe will absorb the lost soul's energy. However, if the soul chooses to ask for forgiveness and wants to cross over, many things are taken into consideration. Was the, was the suicide done selfish for selfish reasons, such as getting back at someone? Or was it done to me, due to mental illness, demonic attachment, or archons? In the case of mental illness suicide, a loved one, whom they are familiar with in the current lifetime, will be sent to assist the soul in crossing over. However, until the soul does successfully cross over, they maintain the mental illness.
once retrieved, the soul, now free of burden of negative emotions, illnesses, and attachments, is prepared for reentry. They are schooled and taken to the Akashic Records to view their records from past lives and the companies of their missed opportunities in this life. Then they're given the opportunity to return to complete their life, either as a newborn or a walk-in. If they choose to walk in, they will be placed in similar circumstances to their situation at the time of their suicide. Thus, they have the opportunity to make a better choice. There's no reception, and they do not mingle with loved ones until they have completed this life cycle. If the suicide was for selfish reasons, such as getting back at someone or to avoid the repercussions of a dastardly deed, there is no reception either. The soul is prepared for reentry and a do-over. They are not allowed to intermingle with their loved ones, and depending on the dastardly deed, sometimes more stringent actions are taken. Again, if you're uncomfortable with what I'm reading, please just move on. Do not turn, you know, don't turn me into the Facebook police or the internet police or anything like that. All right, we are rated PG-13, rated R channel. All right, and some of these views may not be what you believe. Some honestly, some aren't what I believe either. But this is the opinion of the author, and this is what she wrote. Okay, Lynn Monet, my good friend Lynn Monet. Uh, if you, and if you like what you hear, double tap that screen, double tap that screen, show me some love. Same thing over the other networks, show me some love, show me some love. Principles of the universal laws and laws of creation. Humans have full power over these laws. Everyone's world begins with the power to direct their thoughts, emotions, and feelings. With every word spoken, there is a thought. <laughs> With every thought, spoken or not, energy is released into the atmosphere and into space. Most humans are unaware of what outcomes they create for themselves with the thoughts that they release. Thoughts become manifestations of the energy people put out. If one keeps complaining about not having any money, they will stay poor and struggling. If one thinks and says they never get a break or they never win, they never will. If one thinks someone else has it, has it better than they do, that person always will. If one obsesses over being cheated on, they are setting themselves up for it to happen again on in later life. Again, later in life, sorry. What a person puts out mentally comes back to them. Every person on this earth needs to take responsibility for their negative thoughts and emotions that cause negative outcomes. Those thought manifestations can be used in a positive way, which is what was intended. This is the way communication happens in the spirit realms and on the other side, through thought. Humans have unknowingly been using the power of thoughts and emotions wrong for centuries. This misuse creates unnecessary suffering, even during a time of uncertainty and change on our planet. It is important to align one's mind with higher values of love, compassion, and forgiveness. For those who are not soul-connected, it is time to learn a discipline that one must exercise. One must unlearn what they have been exposed to on earth and remember who they really are. And not, an unknown author once stated, when one holds their energy in a state of judgment or another or oneself, one's vibration drops. Energy held in expectation of a particular outcome or in a space of victim causes one's energy to drop. One must become aware of how they are creating in each moment. With each thought or emotion, everyone is creating either positively 
or negatively. This builds and affects your outer life in 3D and prevents you from embracing a fifth dimension frequency, according to Sharon Evil. Feelings, even more so, are one's powerhouse of manifestation for one's future. It is an overlooked power that everyone has. Feelings and emotions are refused to are referred, sorry, are referred to interchangeably. However, they're not the same. Feelings are more mental and are felt at one's core, also known as the solar plexus. Emotions are the physical reaction to the feeling and are revoked from the throat plexus. Harmony in one's feelings is paramount. People don't realize the negativity they can create in their own life by allowing feelings to run rampant in response to situations they don't like or want. It becomes a vicious cycle of what one is putting out comes back to them. They don't realize the physical action of the emotion is causing or is caused by the feeling. Thinking comes into play to control or act out the feeling in a specific way. Thoughts are the reins for one's feelings and actions. Has one ever heard the saying, think before you speak? Taking a moment to think first and then to say no to a feeling can change the outcome completely. Has one ever heard the saying, let's not go there? One can take control of their feelings by simply telling them, no, I am not going to go there, and force themselves to think of something else at first. One may need to do this over and over because feelings are used to getting in their way or getting their way. When feelings are concerned and hurtful, one should not let them take over and ruin their day. Nothing can hurt or disturb someone without their consent. When someone consents to the negative feelings, it leaves them open like a raw nerve and will attract more negativity towards them. Now one, now one should turn their attention to moods. Unless someone has been clinically diagnosed with a mood disorder, moods should not even exist. They're destructive, as they involve more than just one person. It is selfish to expect others to tiptoe around another's mood. Moods are both buildup of negative emotions and one's perception about how those feelings should be handled. Moods are a learned behavior, and they serve no purpose other than making the person having them miserable, and making those around the person miserable too. If one does have a diagnosed mood disorder, one should please take their medication as prescribed, whether they think they need it or not. One should not stop taking any medication prescribed for one's moods without their doctor's consent. Lynn, the author, is a nurse. All right, so she's not just spouting stuff. She's a nurse. A lot of times, people with disorders, when they start to feel better, think they don't need their medication anymore. What they don't realize is that their medication is what's keeping them balanced and making them feel better. Bipolar, for instance, is believed to be a chemical imbalance in the system's neurotransmitters. However, in reality, the exact cause of bipolar is unknown. However, there have been treatments for bipolar discovered that seem to improve in bipolar patients' fluctuating moods. With that being said, even people with bipolar can cautiously avoid the triggers that bring on their moods through the same means as a person without a mood disorder by telling certain thoughts. No, and forcing oneself to think of something else, redirecting one's focus to something more productive and rewarding. Even with a disorder, one can choose how they allow themselves to be affected. It has already been discussed what depression attracts. Having a menstrual cycle can make hormones fluctuate. However, it is up to the person whether the natural hormonal changes make them, I'll use the word bitchy, or not. 
One should think before they speak. See, I'm thinking before I speak. Take control of their feelings and choose to stay out of the mood, feeling, and state of mind. No excuses. Choose to be happy instead. Learn some new coping skills that don't chase away loved ones and teach one's daughter that bitchiness is acceptable behavior to have during their cycle. Some of these negative behaviors are not hereditary. They are learned and passed down generationally, including coping skills and lack of good ones. Children learn what they see. Here is a perfect example, a story most have probably heard. A young girl was watching her mother bake a ham for the family gathering, and she noticed her mom cutting off the ends of the ham before placing it in the oven. The girl asked, Mom, why do you cut the ends off before baking the ham? Hmm, I think it helps soak up the juices while it's baking. I'm not sure, though. That's the way your grandma always did it, so I've just always cut them off. Why don't you call grandma and ask her? So the little girl phoned her grandma and asked, Grandma, Mom is making a ham and cut off the ends before placing it in the oven. She said that it's, prob it's, prob that it's probably to soak up the juices, but she also wasn't sure either. She said, you know, because you learned how to cook from you. That's true. I do cut the ends off the ham before baking, but I'm not sure why either. I learned how to cook from my mom. You should ask her. So the inquisitive little girl called her great-grandmother and asked, great-grandma, mom and grandma said they learned how to cook a ham from watching you. Do you cut off the ends of the ham to soak up the juices? The great-grandmother paused and chuckled. Oh, no, sweetie. I just never had a pan big enough to hold the whole ham, so I had to cut off the ends to make it fit. That's from executiveforum.com. So, for all of those decades, they were wasting ham and throwing it away because it was learned behavior that family members repeated for years without question. It was the way they were taught, the same way the responses to feelings have been modeled or handed down through generations. Feelings are felt before they are spoken or exhibited. They release in a mental energy that is emitted outwardly, even before it's spoken. This is why they are so powerful. With every emotion that is felt and then thought, it is triply reinforced when it is felt, thought, and then spoken. Feelings can be created by thought before they become a feeling. They can also be created by a feeling before they become a thought. An example is when one senses when another is upset or angry before they even have said anything. This happens all the time between partners. When one spouse is upset with them, words don't even need to be spoken for one to know it. Another example is a mother sensing something is wrong with their own child, even when they are not in her presence. This is because feelings of one's child's anguish or fear travels at lightning speed in the universe and to the mother. People react on feeling so much, and they are not even aware of it. Think of the flare of anger when someone cuts another off in traffic. Take a minute to think about the emotion one is injecting into the atmosphere. That one incident joins other people's emotions so as to make a collective toxic emotional stew. This is a regular daily occurrence being put out in the universe multiple times a day, especially during rush hour. All of that negativity is eventually returned to the earth and the people on it. Sometimes it comes to people more directly, depending on how often they hash over their negativity or rethink it and feel it over and over. People tend to do this with pet peeves and what they consider injustices. They complain about these things to others, compounding the problem more and bringing it back onto themselves. This is called venting. One shouldn't do it. 
A combination of people constantly putting negative out into the universe creates wars. Things that appear to be natural disasters, such as hurricanes and tornadoes, and on a more personal level, even the manifestation of illness from oneself. With the person having the flare of anger in traffic, what the person, sorry about that, what the person having a flare of anger in traffic doesn't realize is that there are reasons for these things to happen, and many times it is angelic intervention. In this case, intention is unlikely to be making one late or startled in traffic. Perhaps it is to make one pay more attention instead of reaching for the co their coffee while driving or prevent one from being cut off in traffic or to slow one down just enough to save them from something more tragic down the road. Has one ever passed an accident on the interstate and reflected on how they were delayed just 10 or 15 minutes by, by what they felt was another one's thoughtfulness or carelessness? One might realize it could have been them in that accident if they had not been delayed by the school bus, slow-moving truck, or train. As one fumes, taps their foot, or screams obscenities, they should realize they might be late to work, but they are alive. Be thankful instead of angry or inconvenienced. There are so many things one will never know that these inconveniences have saved them from. There could have been something much, much worse down the road. Something as small as one's baby vomiting on them before leaving to go somewhere, or stepping in dog poop and needing to clean it up, might lead one back to their home when they realize they left their stove, coffee pot, or iron on, or they forgot to lock their door. Just think of the snowball effect of what tragedy could have happened in these scenarios. But instead of dwelling on it, say thank you to God or whatever higher power one believes in, and let the positive emotion and gratitude in, into the universe. People have learned to be frustrated, upset, or angry in response to an interruption in their day. These patterns need to change because a divine plan is in play. This is one of the most important things people plan, people come to this, early plane, this earthly plane to learn and is the reason for which people are not shown automatically what is ahead in this life. The inconveniences are guiding one onto the path and they need to be on for that day. Keep harmony in one's feelings at times. Make a daily commitment to world peace. How does one go about doing this? Each person is, is the creator of their future. The best place to begin is with one's own mind. Eradicate blame, thoughts of violence and hatred, of harming others, agreeing with warlords, and especially thoughts of an enemy. Okay, There is no enemy. The enemy is a negative thought energy one holds in their consciousness. For those who are soul-connected, this comes naturally. However, no one is perfect. And at times, even someone who is soul-connected might still engage in erroneous thinking. Many believe those who are teaching the best lessons are benevolent beings. But in reality, the ones who teach the most powerful lessons are the negative ones. For instance, when a person sees others as terrorists, they will fear them. One creates their own reality when they fear, and they attract that lesson to themselves. This, in turn, adds to global hysteria and puts terror in one's mind. One way to overcome fear is to see it as a lesson in empowerment. It would be more worthwhile to focus a less hostile environment upon the world so there would be less instances of fear. It is important to lose all thoughts of enemies, perpetrators, victimhood, and negative emotions. 
The reason one is suffering is because one believes they are suffering. Changing one's mind and thinking in a more benevolent way will alleviate their suffering. One should see the world liberation as only a positive outcome. Conflict is an opportunity to grow in inner peace. Acceptance and living compassionately allows conflict to, de to cease. One must see the opportunity of growth, growth, <laughs> growth and what is being carried out in the world right now. If one does not see it this way, they will remain on lower level frequencies and attract the lessons they need to help enlighten them. Chapter 11, Ghostbusters. That's what I did. I'm Ghostbuster, right? All right, if you like what you hear, double tap that screen. I'm trying to build up my taps. Double tap that screen. Hit that like button over there on Facebook and YouTube. Away we go. Lynn and Bill have been exposed to demons since they were children. They both grew up in homes that were anything but ordinary. They have helped many with demonic infestations and are able to clear homes successfully with specific techniques. First story is Hugh. Hugh was an affluent gentleman and an entrepreneur of his time. He created and owned a highly successful whole food distribution in South Florida. He was married and had one child, a daughter, Marlene. I don't know what that noise is, but thank you. Hugh although generous, wanted for Marlene to be an active part of the family business and had her working often side by side with him from the time she was a young girl. Although he was, a, he was affluent, he wanted his daughter to understand that making money came through hard work. He also wanted her to understand all the attributes of running a successful business. He instilled skills of customer service and the importance of scheduling and being on time, as well as respectfully prided her work and business finesse. Marlene's parents loved their only daughter very much and made sure she had everything she needed to be successful in life. Even though the family business was a huge success, Marlene's mother still encouraged education and made sure Marlene had a good one. Marlene attended the best schools in the area and graduated with her PhD in psychology. Her understanding of psychology gave Marlene an edge when working with difficult customers and employee relations. She became a very important figure in her family business. Hugh entrusted her with tasks that he would not that he would normally do himself. Plus, Hugh enjoyed spending time with his daughter, and having her work with him gave him an opportunity to do so that he would not otherwise have had with his demanding and very busy schedule. Marlene married her first husband, Dalton, when she was 26 years old. Dalton was five years her senior. During the time she was married to Dalton, Marlene continued to work for her father's business, and the business continued to grow. She and Dalton lived in a very nice home in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, as did Marlene's parents, who lived in an area nearby. Marlene was always close to both her parents and the family business. This became more important as her parents aged. Marlene's mother eventually passed away. Marlene decided to purchase a parcel of land to build a vacation cabin-style home. She had been to North Carolina and thought it would be a good place to start looking. It didn't take long until she found a large parcel of land near the top of a mountain with breathtaking views, wild turkey, bears, and a natural water source. It also had mount mountainous areas of rich soil for planting. Marlene built a modern-sized cabin to vacation in. Not long after the completion of the cabin, Marlene's marriage to Dalton started to crumble and ended in divorce. Marlene remained single for a while. She focused on her work and stayed busy. When handling accounts for the business, 
Marlene sometimes spoke to a gentleman named Newman, who was a salesman for the company. They spoke for a year over the phone until Newman started to show up at her father's home to fix issues with sales. Marlene would occasionally see him, and he likewise caught sight of the elegant brunette beauty. They finally met officially at her father's home. Marlene's sense of humor, fun nature, and quick wit enamored Newman. He couldn't help himself and was drawn more to her every time he saw her. Marlene, on the other hand, didn't think much of Newman in a personal way. She only thought of him professionally. Despite her lack of interest, Newman's phone calls and visits to the business started to become more frequent as he found excuses to be in Marlene's presence. Newman took every opportunity to pursue Marlene. Marlene did not like Newman's appearance, yet he started to grow on her. Marlene became attracted to his intense pursuit of her. She was flattered and finally accepted his advances. They got married after some time. Newman was the grandson of J.M. Loomis, who was very well known amongst the upper echelon of society in Miami Beach, Florida. J.M. Loomis owned large parcels of ocean property in Miami Beach. He was a shrewd businessman and is known still today for donating property in Miami Beach. Loomis Park is named after him. Newman had no access to the Loomis money. So, he worked for a company similar to Marlene's father's company and then started to work for Hugh. He retired not too long after marrying Marlene. They remained at Fort Lauderdale near Marlene's father. Marlene was Hugh's caretaker as he began declining physically. He needed her assistance with his daily activities until he passed away. Marlene's mother had passed away years before. She was now the only heir to the multi-million dollar estate. Even in death, Hugh chose not to cross over and watched over his daughter and his assets closely. Marlene decided to renovate the vacation cabin into a retirement home. She enlarged it into a 5,000 square foot, five bedroom, five and a half bath cabin with three floors and an elevator, two kitchens, and a large sauna. It had a room exclusively for a large hot tub with windows from ceiling to floor overlooking the mountains. The views were magnificent from any window in the cabin. It was peaceful and serene, and its water supplied from an artesian well. Some mornings, Marlene would wake up with a carpet of billowy clouds below the cabin, with peaks of tall trees peeking through. There were rows of apple trees and blueberry bushes. The area around the cabin was also home to wild animals, and the air was crisp and clean. Marlene would awaken to the sound of birds singing. Once Marlene and Newman fully moved into the cabin, Hugh's spirit made itself known. He had followed his daughter to watch over her and was very protective of any hidden assets in their home that Marlene had inherited. In particular, his gold Krugerrands. Hope I'm saying that right. Marlene had hiding places in the cabin to keep the valuables safe and would relocate them frequently to ensure their safety. For people that don't know what Krugerrands are, they're coins. Hugh's soul roamed the cabin. He seemed to linger mostly on the lowest floor, as many of the valuable items had been buried under the house and could only be accessed from there. There was a small and finished storage area that was securely enclosed. Inside of it was a dirt area behind a closed door. Marlene didn't even tell Newman where the items were. Whenever someone was on the lower level, one could hear heavy footsteps running upon them if they unknowingly got too close to the door hiding in the dirt area. The feeling of the air's vibration would become intense, and an urgent desire to get out of that space would overcome them. Often, simply opening the door from the ground level to the stairway was enough 
to cause Hugh to show his presence in the stairwell, as if he was warning them to give him his privacy. When Newman or the groundskeepers were down on the lower level, they would see Hugh or hear him open and close doors. Sometimes they would hear his heavy footsteps either rushing towards them or walking into the room and stopping at the lower level. He was not there to harm anyone, however. His strong presence alone was enough to make people not linger at the lower level. Hugh was seen by some of the guests who had come to visit and stay at the cabin. Lynn was a guest on multiple occasions, along with her life partner, Bill, who was Marlene's nephew. During Lynn's first stay, she was in the kitchen alone, getting a drink of water. She did not know where to find a drinking glass, so she started opening several of the cabinets, hoping to find one. Suddenly, she felt a concerned male presence. It was so strong that she thought it was Bill coming into the room. However, when she turned, the apparition of a well-dressed man stood watching her from the dining room. Lynn could see the expression of concern on his face. I'm just looking for a glass, of a glass to get a drink of water, Lynn said to the spirit. He faded away, but Lynn could still feel his presence everywhere in the home, as if he was keeping close, a close eye. That evening, Lynn prepared dinner for the family. As she stood in the kitchen, Hugh made an appearance and came closer to her. She could see him out of her peripheral vision. He was standing right next to her as she prepared the food. I'm making food for your daughter, Lynn said out loud, hoping Hugh would hear her. Her presence was intense. I don't mean any harm. By nightfall, both Lynn and Bill were exhausted from the continuous drain of energy caused by Hugh. Lynn was unaware at first that Bill was also experiencing Hugh, until Marlene asked Bill to check all the valuables she had hidden and confirmed that they were still there. While in the lower level, Bill heard heavy, rushing footsteps coming upon him from behind as he dug up the valuables and verified that all of them were still there. He became more uncomfortable the longer he stayed down there and hurried to put everything back. Bill was not interested in going down there again that visit. He made mention of the footsteps to Marlene. Yes, Marlene said, that is Hugh, my father. Others have heard him down there, too. One evening, Lynn and Bill lingered on the upper levels to visit with Marlene in her bedroom after Newman had gone to bed. Lynn told Marlene she had met Hugh. Marlene seemed comforted that someone was actually able to see him. I wonder why I cannot, she mused. Bill and Lynn went to bed. When they woke up the next morning, they were going into Maggie, into Maggie Valley to see the sights and visit some friends they knew there. Upon their return to the cabin, Lynn was lingering out by the car when she saw the ghost of a young Indian woman, Native American, peering from the blueberry bushes. Lynn mentioned it to Newman after entering the cabin. Yes, Newman said. Workers have seen Native Americans showing up there, out there in the woods, too. Sometimes they can hear their drum-like sounds. Lynn and Bill visited with Marlene and Newman for a while, then used the short, then used the shortcut to get to their bedroom from Marlene's. There was a fake wall in Marlene's closet that opened directly into the guest bathroom, like a secret passageway. The room they were staying in gave them privacy and a whole and the whole upper corner of the cabin themselves. Lynn took her shower and then relaxed in bed, waiting for Bill to finish in the bathroom. She heard footsteps coming from the stairwell. Lynn got up and alerted Bill. Will you go check and see who's in the stairwell? Lynn asked. I'm not dressed. She thought perhaps Newman had come up to use the computers on the upper floor. 
Bill put on his shorts and went out to see who was making the footsteps. No one was there. He came back into the bedroom and started to tell Lynn about the footsteps that he had heard the day before while in the lower level. I think it was Hugh, Bill said. Bill and Lynn awakened the next morning and headed for home. Marlene, due to some physical disabilities, mostly stayed in her bedroom. Her room was like a studio apartment, and she had access to everything she needed in there. Newman brought her meals and washed her clothes. He did the shopping and took care of the pets. Newman also had a studio apartment-type bedroom across the hall from Marlene's. It even had a full kitchen in it. Newman continued his daily routine until he was no longer able to, and Marlene had to hire help to assist her with her activities of daily living. Bill and Lynn returned to the cabin about four months later. Marlene had been ill and had gotten home from the rehab, from the rehab center she had been sent to after being in the hospital. She had, several, she had several women who would come to care for her at her home during the day. One of these women, Bill had an overwhelming bad feeling about. He had a vision flash that made him feel as if this person had some very negative qualities. Upon arriving, Lynn went inside the cabin and was greeted by Newman. While Bill carried the luggage up to their room, Lynn asked Newman about the new employees. I've had some concerns, Newman said. I feel like I can take care of Marlene, so these people don't even have to be here. When Bill came back down, Newman, Bill, and Lynn sat out on the deck overlooking the heavenly view. That woman you've hired, Bill said, she gives me this overwhelming bad feeling. My first impression of her is that she and that man with her are both criminal types. When we pulled up, they were getting something out of your vehicle, and something just didn't seem right. Ah, she recommended that man is with her, Newman told him. She said she could take care of some things in the house that needed attention. I felt like we're, I feel like we're being overcharged, but Marlene pays them and you know, what they're asking. He looked frustrated. Some of his work isn't that good, and I found out he wasn't qualified to be doing all of it. I could do just as good or better. The energy in the cabin was different than before. It seemed something darker had tagged along with these new employees. A woman, Lynn found out, was a care assistant at the facility Marlene had been in for a few weeks after her hospital stay and was not supposed to be doing work on the side with ex-patients. The man was from a weird relationship with the, with the woman, who had admittedly been involved at some point with all three of the brothers in his family. Apparently, she was still dating his brother, but was involved with him, too. Lynn went into the kitchen to put away the food they had bought, and the care assistant walked in. Hello, Lynn said. I'm Lynn. It's nice to meet you. I'm Dana, said the woman. As she spoke, Lynn could clearly smell alcohol in her breath. Dana left the kitchen to go up and sit with Marlene. Lynn went and found Bill. The caretaker, Dana, Lynn said. Her breath smelled like alcohol. They went upstairs to visit Marlene in her room. When they walked in, both Marlene and Dana were smoking. Dana put out her cigarette. I need to leave an hour early. She left soon after Bill and Lynn entered the room. Marlene seemed tired, so they only stayed for a short visit. They wanted Marlene to get a rest. Lynn and Bill went to visit with Newman and made plans for takeout food for dinner. Lynn mentioned the alcohol smell coming from Dana's breath. I have not noticed it, Newman said. While Newman and Bill got off on other subjects about family matters, Lynn decided to go lay down for a nap. Once in the bedroom, she slipped off her shoes and lay down on top of the bed covers. As she lay there, she had a strong sense that she wasn't alone in the room. 
Elisha turned on started to flicker. She shut it off. Lynn lay awake with an ominous feeling. Suddenly, she felt the bed slightly jew. It felt as if something was crawling up onto the bed right next to her. Lynn immediately told the spirit to leave as she sat up. The draft encircled her, then left out the door, making the secret door appear and open slightly. Appear to open slightly. The secret door could only be locked shut from the other side in Marlene's closet. Lynn got up, left the room out of a different door, went down the stairs into the living room, and lay down on the sofa. This spirit had not presented like you normally did. Lynn, Lynn felt it was a male apparition, but didn't know, nor did she want to know whose it was. As Lynn lay on the sofa, Marlene called on the intercom phone. I just woke up, Marlene said. I need someone to help me to the bathroom. Lynn went up and assisted her. While waiting in Marlene's room for her to finish in the bathroom, Lynn saw Hugh out of the corner of her eye, standing near Marlene's bed. Then he faded away. I'm here to help Marlene, Lynn said. There's no reason to worry. As she spoke, Marlene returned from the bathroom and jumped up onto the bed. She caught a glimpse of Hugh. The cat just lay there, staring in the direction that Hugh had been seconds before. Who are you talking to? Marlene asked. Hugh was in your room, Lynn told her. You should be comforted, as he watched over you. They all ordered takeout food. Bill brought Marlene's up to her. Lynn, who had baked Marlene some cookies to keep in her room, followed shortly after. They stayed with Marlene for over an hour. When they could tell she was sleepy, they left and headed for bed themselves. Lynn showered and got into bed and waited for Bill. As she lay there, she was gripped by the ominous feeling of being watched by something sinister. Despite the sinister feeling, Lynn managed to doze off a few times. She was awakened by something on the bed. Her first thought was that it was Bill coming to bed in the dark. Then she realized he was still in the bathroom. Lynn got up, told the presence to leave. When Bill came out of the bathroom, Lynn told him what had happened. They agreed the home needed a clearing, but they had not come prepared to do one. The next morning, Lynn was in the kitchen. When Dana stormed in an hour late, she reeked of alcohol. Have you been drinking, Lynn asked. Dana's eyes flared as she got on the defensive. I was at a party, Dana said in a raised voice. It was on my health time. Please watch your tone, Lynn said. I'm just worried about your ability to take care of Marlene. Lynn and Bill had plans that day, but Lynn told Bill to go ahead without her. She was going to stay close if Marlene needed her. Dana was inebriated this morning, Lynn, told, Lynn said, as she admitted to partying most of the night. Bill rode with Newman to run errands. When they returned, Bill commented on how bad his uncle's driving was. I will never ride in a car with him again, Bill said. Bill left again to visit a friend. Lynn cleaned the kitchen and did laundry. While she was in the laundry room, she saw a dark, menacing shadow move past the doorway and went down the hall towards the kitchen. Lynn entered the kitchen a few moments later and saw the dark shadow go up the stairs toward Marlene's room. This was not Hugh, Lynn thought. Just then, Dana's man entered through the back door without knocking. He had used a hidden key. He passed the laundry room and entered the hallway. Hello, Lynn said. I'm Lynn. I'm Brian, the man said. Have you seen Dana? Wait. Wait here. I'll go and get her, Lynn said. As Lynn approached Marlene's door, she could hear the condescending tone Dana was speaking to Marlene in. Lynn knocked and quickly opened the door. Dana's demeanor instantly changed. Dana, your friend is downstairs, Lynn said. 
You should go down to see what he wants. After Dana left the room, Lynn turned to Marlene and asked, Are you okay? Do you want anything for breakfast? I'd like a fried egg over easy and a piece of butter toast, Marlene said. Lynn went down the kitchen and prepared the breakfast. She was about to take it upstairs when Dana walked in. Dana took over and took Marlene's food upstairs. Lynn sat outside relaxing in the cool air. When Bill returned, Lynn told him about Dana and the dark shadows. Well, Bill said, it turns out Dana has a side business as a sex therapist. What? Lynn said. Yes, said Bill. She was advertising on Facebook and had a page with her sitting inside a hot tub with dildos sitting all around it. Bill went upstairs to visit Marlene and ran into Dana. He noticed the smell of alcohol on her, too. Dana left at noon that day, leaving no one but Lynn, Bill, and Newman to care for Marlene. Lynn and Bill spent the afternoon in Marlene's room. Then they went down to the kitchen to prepare dinner. Newman had already eaten and had gone to bed by 6.30 p.m. Bill and Lynn sat with Marlene after dinner. Marlene was looking forward to seeing the other girl who was coming in a few days a few who was coming a few days a week during the week to help her. She's supposed to come Sunday morning, Marlene said. I noticed that Dana smelled of alcohol two days in a row, Lynn said. I've noticed my liquor has been going down fast, Marlene mused. She turned to Bill. Will you go check on the valuables and move them to a different location? Of course, Bill said. He went into the stairwell leading down the lower level. A waffling appeared in midair in front of him. It looked like vapors from a gas can or a hot road. He knew it was you. Double tap that screen if you, if you like what you're hearing. Please double tap that screen. Double tap that screen. Hugh didn't walk upon him this time, but remained in the room as Bill collected the gold Kruger runs and took them up to Marlene's room. Bill showed them to Marlene so she could see where see see where all that they were still all there. Hide them in here, a place inside my bedroom, Marlene said. He hid them right in front of her. Bill and Lynn then went to bed without incident. When they woke up the next morning, they met Janet, Marlene's other caretaker. Janet seemed very nice and expressed her concern about Dana. Dana yells at Marlene, Janet said. I think Marlene is afraid of her. There, there also has been money missing from, the new, from Newman's truck. Janet exchanged phone numbers with Bill. Thank you so much for being here, Bill said. Yes, Lynn agreed. Thank you. You should also know there's a ghost in the house. Oh, yeah, it's you, Janet said. When we come back, Bill and I are going to clear the cabin and do a blessing. Lynn told her. Janet was glad. Later on, Bill got a call from Marlene and Janet. Since Janet was responsible for helping Marlene with making out the bills, Janet had found that Newman had written Dana a check for several hundred dollars without Marlene knowing. Marlene was very upset and wanted Dana fired. I could get my husband and another lady to fill in hours, Janet said. Marlene had another stay in the hospital followed by rehab. Bill and Lynn went back to Marlene's four weeks later when she arrived home from, her, from the rehab, and Bill fired Dana. Then he and Lynn worked together to clear the house of the darkness and negativity left behind by the women. By the woman, sorry. However, Hugh decided to stay. It seemed as if he knew there was more to come. Shortly after Bill and Lynn's last visit, Newman had a fall down the stairs, landing on his face and head. This accident and subsequent injuries eventually took his life. This left Marlene isolated and having to trust that her staff was doing the right thing. Janet's husband started working right away. Janet kept in touch with Bill and updated him regularly. Bill and Lynn didn't get back to see Marlene until spring, five months later. 
the winter was heavy, and they couldn't take the risk of going any sooner and getting stuck up in the mountain for days. Stuck up on the mountains for days. Lindenville then visited two more times over a three-month period. Marlene had other visitors in between. During the next few visits, Lynn found out from Janet that she and her husband were not really married. It turned out he was married to someone else. J.D., my husband, wasn't ever able to find his wife to divorce her after he got out of jail, Janet said. Lynn's ears perked up as she asked, out of jail for what? He was falsely given sex offender charges on a minor. Janet replied. He was accused of molesting a young girl that belonged to a woman he dated, but he didn't do it. Liz started to have a sinking feeling in her stomach. She didn't believe people got arrested for something like that unless they were hardcore, there was hardcore proof. Bill walked into the kitchen and Janet started telling him that the money was missing from Uncle Newman's bedroom. Whoever took the money took the cash and left the empty bank envelopes behind, Janet said. It was probably Dana who took it. Everyone agreed, especially after finding the check Dana had gotten from Newman and the money missing from, from his car. Thank you, Janet, Bill said. I'm so glad you're here to help Aunt Marlene. After Janet headed upstairs to give Marlene her bath, Lynn took Bill aside and told him what she had just been told about J.D. Neither one knew what to do at that point. Later that evening, when Janet was fixing Marlene's dinner, Bill and Lynn went to tell Marlene what they had found out. Apparently, she already knew. I believe Janet's story, where she says he was innocent, Marlene said. I'm okay with J.D. being here. The next morning, as Janet prepared to leave for her other job, J.D. came in and went straight up, for Marlene's, and went straight up to Marlene's bedroom. He sat watching television while she slept. Bill went upstairs to see Marlene and J.D. Aunt Marlene, are you hungry? Bill asked. I'm taking Lynn out for breakfast, and we were wondering if you'd like us to bring food back for you. Oh, yes, Marlene said. She placed her order in Bill and Lynn left. Upon Bill and Lynn's return, Marlene enjoyed her brunch while Bill and Lynn went to pick blueberries. That afternoon, Bill went outside to shoot his gun at targets. Lynn was tired and lay down to take a nap. She lay in the bed facing the bathroom. Suddenly, she was awakened by the sensation that someone was watching her sleep. When she opened her eyes, she saw someone rushing to sneak back into the secret wall opening from the bathroom into Marlene's closet. She watched them close the door. She thought it was Bill at first, until she heard him shooting outside in the distance. Lynn knew that Marlene was not in good enough condition to get up and open the secret wall, so she realized it had to have been J.D. She thought J.D. probably had not realized that Bill and Lynn were staying in the room connected to the bathroom with the opening wall. Lynn mentioned the incident to Bill when he came inside. He went upstairs and into Marlene's closet to secure the door. As Lynn and Bill prepared to leave the next day, Lynn could not stop thinking about the incident from the day before. It didn't feel right. She realized that J.D. could have seen her napping from the open wall without even having to enter the bathroom. But he had entered the bathroom and rushed back out when Lynn woke up. This made her feel creepy. She thought about his jail time served and the reason he was put away. Bill and Lynn agreed that J.D. was lurking either to steal something or who knows what else. He had known Bill was outside at the, at the time. Meanwhile, Jenna continued to complain about the new co-worker. She made accusations that the lady was stealing money from Marlene's weekly withdrawals, which she had Janet make during the week for Friday's payroll. Janet had even Marlene convinced that the missing money had been stolen by other people. 
As money continued to disappear, it was blamed on the new person, Lola, who would fill in as needed a couple of times a week. Bill fired Lola based on what Janet told him about her. Janet also complained about the increased sightings of Hugh. She had seen him on several occasions in the kitchen, staring at her. J.D. had seen him in Marlene's bedroom as well. J.D. also claimed to see Newman's spirit in his old bedroom. Janet and J.D. told Lynn they were working so much because they were saving for a house. Janet said she had to have cash to pay for the house because J.D.'s credit was messed up. I don't want to have to waste money cleaning it, you know, cleaning it up or cleaning it up before buying a house, she had said to J.D.'s credit. One day, Janet was suddenly thrilled to report to Lynn that she had found a home for $123,000. She had gone to look at it and had pictures to show. She even showed the photos to Marlene and Bill. At this point, Janet had only worked for Marlene for about six months, yet all of a sudden, she had the cash to buy her house. She bought it. Two days later, J.D. was working his shift and decided to leave early without waiting until his shift change got there to relieve him. Okay, let's see. I just got distracted. Despite knowing Marlene was a fly fallbrist, he left her unattended and all alone in her room for hours. Marlene was found on the floor with a fracture. She spent a month in rehab. Janet and J.D. disappeared. Marlene didn't want to press charges on anybody, so there was nothing to be done. Marlene reinstated Lola after Janet and J.D. left. Bill and Lynn returned to meet new hires and see how things were going with Lola once again. Lola had gotten a hold of a woman named Dawn, who was one of Dana's relatives, to cover shifts taking care of Marlene every once in a while. Though Dawn, through Dawn, Lola hired two more girls. One was Dawn's daughter, and the other was a woman who professed to be an off-duty police officer. Lynn and Bill came prepared to bless and clear the house of the negative energy being brought in by the staff once again. They arrived on a Friday night and planned to stay for two nights. The first night, Lynn was on the top floor of the private room she and Bill always stayed in. Lynn settled in and decided to take a shower. Bill and Lynn planned on doing the cleaning the next day. After a good night's rest, while Lynn was in the last shower, she saw the apparition of a man who was neatly dressed, wearing a white long sleeve shirt, tucked into his dark colored pants. Walking to the bathroom, he entered from the wall leading to Marlene's bedroom. Lynn covered herself as the male apparition approached. He stopped and turned his head to look at her briefly. Then he looked forward and continued to walk foot. Then he looked, yeah, then he looked forward and continued to walk forward out of the bathroom through the hallway door. She recognized this hue. When Lynn was out of the shower and dressed, she went to see Marlene and told her and Bill that what had just happened. I want to know for sure that this ghost is, in fact, my father, Marlene said. What does the man look like? Lynn began to describe the way the apparition was dressed and the way he walked. That sounds just like my father, Hugh, Marlene exclaimed. She picked up a picture with about five minutes in it. Is the apparition you saw any one of those men? Lynn immediately pointed to one. That is my father, Marlene said. Hugh's presence was commonplace in the cabin, however. It was disturbing to the new staff. It also seemed as though Hugh might not be the only lost soul wandering around Marlene's cabin. In addition to the normal footsteps, Marlene said, every one of the staff said that they hear movement in the lowest level when no one is there. Lights would flicker and turn on when no one was in the room. The TV would apparently turn itself on, too. One staff member even mentioned seeing an Indian woman in one of the bedrooms 
on the ground floor. The staff also mentioned tapping sounds whenever they were in the kitchen or Marlene's room. Marlene mentioned that she had concerns about money and valuables missing and asked Bill if he would go to the new hiding place to make sure the items were still there. Bill agreed to check. All of Hugh's valuables were accounted for. As it got close to evening time, Lynn started to prepare dinner for everyone. As she stood in the kitchen, she too heard steps walking into the kitchen. At first she thought it was Bill, but when she turned, nobody was there. She could feel the presence watching her. She continued cooking. The lights started to flicker. I mean no harm, Lynn said to the room around her. I am fixing Marlene something to eat. The lights stopped flickering. Lynn glanced over to the stairwell, to the stairway opening. I saw a glowing light with Newman standing there. I'm stopping to say hello, Newman said, and let everyone know that I had crossed over. I know that you can see me and will still convey the message. Lynn finished preparing dinner and took Marlene's up to her as she was going to eat in her room. She got halfway up the stairs, but she felt the spirit walk right through her, going in the opposite direction. Lynn ignored it and continued on. Once inside Marlene's bedroom, she sat Mar Marlene's food down on the bedside table and set it up for Marlene to eat. Lynn mentioned to Bill and Marlene what had happened with Newman downstairs. Then Lynn and Bill headed back downstairs to eat. While they were eating, the night caretaker came in the back door. Lola started to tell them some of the things that had been happening, including seeing Native American spirits outside of the property. One was starting, one was standing in the driveway one night when I got here, the caretaker said. It was so real that I slowed down until it disappeared. Activity in the house has amped up again, Lola said. It's those dark shadows. Then the intercom phone rang. It was Marlene needing Lola's help. Lola left the kitchen to go upstairs and relieve the off-going the off the, the off-going care, caretaker. Bill and Lynn cleaned up the kitchen and did the dishes. Then Lynn decided to go back upstairs to visit a bit with Marlene and Lola. As Lynn sat talking to them, there was a sound in the corner of Marlene's bedroom. It sounded as if someone was throwing ping-pong balls into the corner. I hear it too, Lola admitted. Lynn felt something fluffing her hair on top of her head. Did you see that, Lynn asked? Yes, Lola said. A hand reached out over your head and touched your hair. Dark shadows hovered over Lola. Lynn, first, Lynn at first thought the shadows came with Lola. They didn't. However, they were J.D.'s leftovers. Lynn left Marlene's bedroom and found Bill lying down, relaxing in their room. Lynn told Bill about all the activity in Marlene's room, and they both agreed that they had their work cut out for them the next day. Lynn lay down on the bed while Bill went down to the kitchen to get a snack. As she lay there, she heard the familiar shoot footsteps. Lynn sat up in bed and said quietly to Hugh, Tomorrow we're going to clear this house of any negative spirits and energies that are creating havoc in your daughter's home. I will help you cross over you decide to go. The light overhead started to flicker. The next day, Bill and Lynn worked together to bless the entire house. The blessing took many hours to complete, and they were exhausted when they finally finished. The negative forces fought back during the clearing, and Bill and Lynn were under constant attack while cleansing and removing the unwanted apparitions. During the clearing, Bill came across Hugh, who once again presented his fumes waffling in midair. He stood in the stairwell to the lower level. Hugh was choosing once again to stay earthbound to watch over his daughter. The new employees were still a concern, and again, he had good reason to stay. He had wanted to protect his daughter and the fortune he left her. 
It was unfortunate that Lindenville could not only intervene that, that could, could only intervene so far. Marlene was of sound mind and made her own decisions, which at that time included not reporting incidences to the police. Marlene trusted her workers to find other in-home help for her. No background checks were being done before hiring. It was mostly word of mouth. Before Bill and Lynn went home, they met Diana, who said she worked for the, for the Haywood Sheriff's Office. She had been sent to work for Marlene through a caretaker agency and didn't find the job with Marlene hard. Diana worked three nights a week, and Lola covered the remaining four. Diana said that Hugh's ghost would frighten her, as she had seen him and heard footsteps walking behind her. Diana was there during the night shift, and Lola came during the day. Marlene seemed to be happy with their new staff. She was told that Diana was a police officer, and that Diana wanted to make some extra money moonlighting. Lana was someone that one of the other workers knew Lana's daughter covered the shift sometimes. Two. Okay. Lola was the only remaining long-term employee at the time. It didn't take long for the new girls to begin to see Lola as a threat. They blamed everything that was done right or wasn't done at all on her. Whether it was her responsibility or not, they had Marlene convinced too. Then the stealing started to happen. The well-thought-out thefts done by two of the women separately. Marlene was confined to her bedroom for the most part. She was unable to get around the house. Therefore, no one noticed anything was missing until Bill and Lynn returned to visit a month later. They met both of the new employees. Marlene asked Bill to check the secret areas to ensure the hidden items were still there. About two months later, Bill and Lynn visited Marlene again. After speaking with Marlene for a while, Lynn went downstairs to prepare dinner. As she stood in the kitchen preparing spaghetti, four of the eight recess lights turned off. Lynn heard footsteps and turned to see Hugh standing near the dining room table. He had a somber expression on his face as he paced back and forth. Lynn could feel his intensity. I'm preparing dinner for Marlene, Lynn said. He faded, and the four lights flickered and turned back on. Lynn told Bill later that evening that something didn't feel right. As Bill and Lynn readied for, the bed, for bed that night, Bill told Lynn that Marlene had asked him to get her father's coins out of hiding and bring them to her. When I took them out of the hiding place, the glass jar had been tampered with, Bill said. I had put the gold conductions inside the jar, then wrapped them in a brown paper and taped it up securely. When I found the jar, the wrapping had been removed. He had heard footsteps rushing up on him, and he removed the jar of coins from the designated hiding place. I felt like he was watching me with the jar of coins the whole time, Bill continued. I could not imagine how anyone would have found the jar hidden in the ceiling and the ceiling air conditioning vent. I had not told anyone about it. Marlene was the only other person who knew where the coins were. She saw me place them there, in the vent over her bed. But I could tell the jar was not the way I had left it. I wanted Marlene to be the one to open it. Excuse me. Oh, pardon me. When Bill returned the jar to Marlene, half of her father's gold was gone. The next day, Marlene checked her jewelry box, and a lot of her jewelry was gone. Bill strongly encouraged Marlene to call the police. Everyone was a suspect. Even with calling the police, no one really knew the extent of the robbery until some of the items from Marlene's cabin were found pawned. Most of the stolen items would be covered under Marlene's insurance policy. Regardless, it was still heartbreaking for Marlene. After all, it wasn't about cash value of the items stolen. It was about the sentimental value. The items stolen could never be replaced. Because Diana was portrayed as a police officer, Marlene had thought it would be safe to disclose some of her hiding places to her. 
Diana was not even suspected of stealing. She was the only one who was not a suspect. That is, until it was found that Diana was, in fact, the thief. She was caught while she pawned multiple rare and antique items that she had stolen from Marlene. After Diana's last and largest heist, she never returned to work. She was a no-call, no-show, leaving Marlene's staff scrambling to cover her shift. Marlene had no idea how much had actually been stolen until the detective found the pawn shop Diana had been using and reported all the items she had pawned up to that point. However, even with the extra items stolen, there were still other pieces of jewelry and items that were missing. They were also assumed to be theft from Diana. In the interim, Lana took the opportunity to steal many times. Many, many items, too. She thought it would be blamed on Diana. Lana assumed this would go unreported, since Marlene had not reported any of the other thefts. However, she was wrong this time. Lana found out on her day off that the police had been to the house. She started to panic and called Lola. Lola told her the police fingerprinted her, or fingerprinted where the items had been, and were looking for the theft, into the theft. Okay, The police may want to speak with you, too, Lola told her. Lana returned to work with a pair of diamond earrings and a small zip-top bag, claiming that she had just found them in a drawer. Lola knew she had cleaned out the drawer in question herself when Marlene was moved from the upper level to the lower level. The drawer had been completely empty. Lola found the saw and reported it to Bill, who then related to the police. Lana attempted to return the diamond earrings she had stolen as well as some of their items. All of the money in Marlene's husband's room had been taken. Only the bank envelopes had been left behind. Lana continued to point the finger and ingratiated herself to Marlene, who thought she was innocent. Lana thus secured her position and had years to continue stealing. Marlene asked Bill to run background checks on Diana. They found out she was not a police officer. She was a postal worker. The uniform pants and shoes that she wore to work with, Mar with, with Marlene looked like police pants and shoes. Diana moved to Virginia, and to this day, there is a warrant for her arrest. Marlene was told by the detective working on her case that the police had too much going on to go, to go get her. The background check on Lana was not done until much later. This was a huge mistake. As months passed, Marlene had some hospital admissions with extended stays in rehab centers. Marlene's staff would follow her there. They also had full access to her home and would sometimes get things there from there for Marlene. Marlene felt, with her health declining, she would not be able to stay in her cabin and pay her round-the-clock sitters, too. So she decided to sell her cabin and move in, into something less expensive that she could pay for that she could pay cash for and use the money she made from the side of her side of sale of her cabin for her lifestyle to maintain her lifestyle. She made a deal with Lana that if Lana would care for her until she died, then everything Marlene owned would go to Lana. Lana liked this idea and was overheard bragging about it to, to the others. She lived in a rundown mobile home, being Marlene's heir would give Lana the opportunity to live in a lifestyle she would never have been able to achieve on her own. Lana began to look for homes in the area close to where her family lived. Lana started packing and stealing many items as she claimed to be packing or donating items without always asking Marlene. Beautiful hand-knotted rugs, top-of-the-line kitchen gadgets and dishes. Marlene's stoneware was by Mikasa, and her everyday flatware was Onita. Marlene had beautiful furniture that Lorna would claim was broken. Then Lorna's family would come with trucks and load it up and carry it away. Lana rushed, rushed Marlene out of the cabin, claiming the realtor 
told her it was necessary. Marlene was ambivalent about leaving, but any attempts by Bill or Lynn to offer solutions were not considered. Lana found homes for Marlene to look at. One in particular was not too far from the mobile home Lana had been living in. The home was the largest home in the neighborhood, with a view of run-down trailer park out of the kitchen window. It was on a dead-end street, with a huge junkyard at the end of the street. The next-door neighbor's home had weeds in the yard, growing taller than the home itself. On the day Lorna took Marlene back to this house to make the final decision, Marlene asked if Lynn and Bill could come. I want to see what they think of it, Marlene said, and if it's clear of ghosts. Linda Bill did not think buying the new home was a good idea. Something about the house didn't feel right. Lana encouraged Marlene to buy the house, and she did. They signed papers to buy it in the driveway that day. It didn't take long for Lana to not hold up her end of the bargain. Lana would leave Marlene in her room unattended for hours and became verbally abusive to her. Lola, who was called in to bath... Excuse me, Lola, who was called in to bathe Marlene and clean her room, contacted Bill and told him about Lana's lack of caregiving. Marlene was of sound mind, but was unable to even get herself to the bathroom. Lana sets a bedside commode in pivoting distance and then leaves the commode full of urine and feces most of the day, Lola said, and the house is filthy too. Because of Lana's sudden change of personality, her drunken husband, who would start drinking as soon as he woke up, and their baby that Lana was constantly yelling at, Marlene finally decided to do a background check on Lana herself. There were pages of arrests for balanced checks and fraud. Lana was not even a real name. She had multiple aliases and had been arrested several times. When Lana moved her stuff into Marlene's new home, she brought her demonic minions. Her husband carried an archon and his back, on his back due to a severe drug and alcohol addiction. Their dark, their dark entities started to create havoc in the home. Lola saw lurking dark shadows both inside and outside of the home. The fighting between Lana and her drunken husband is ongoing, Lola said. Bill and Lynn, on their way to mining with LB, decided to pay a visit when they knew that Lana's husband would not be there. Marlene loves seeing LB, LB, Lynn and Bill. I think so. Would dance and sing for her. And she enjoyed playing with Marlene's cast. Oh, maybe, maybe, I don't know, LB, maybe the kids. As soon as they entered the home, the feeling was, in, was, in, was imbalanced and thick of negativity. Marlene's furniture was all pulled away from the walls. Her bedroom was being prepared for paint. Since there was not a lot of room for LB to play with the cats, she went into the large master bedroom with some cat toys. One of the cats followed her in. After about 10 minutes of playing, LB came out and said to Lynn, There's a man ghost in there. Ah, it's a little kid. He pulled the vanity chair out and then pushed it back in, but not all the way. Lynn could tell LB was not joking. She was white as a sheet, as if she had seen a ghost. She had. Lynn immediately went into the bathroom, and she could see a shadow going through the wall in the next room, which was Marlene's bedroom. Lynn told Bill what just happened. We need to leave with LB, Lynn said. She doesn't want to be here. Marlene overheard. I'll take LB off the car, Bill said. As he headed for the door, he noticed the top drawer in Marlene's dresser was partially open. He reached out of his hand and pushed it closed. He took LB outside with him and waited for Lynn in the car. Lynn told Marlene what had just happened in her bathroom with LB. Marlene was not surprised. Neither was Lana. They had both been seeing and experiencing things. Lana told Lynn about a picture she had just hung on the wall, securely, that she would hear and find on the floor. Could you and Bill come back and clear the house? Marlene asked. 
This this would be the third time, Lynn reflected. Each time they had done a cleansing, new employees were brought in, and new energy seemed to come along. Plus, this was a different home environment, and moving will sometimes wake up souls. I'll talk to Bill about it, Lynn said, and we'll see when we come when we come back. Lynn hugged Marlene and headed for the door. As she approached the dresser, the drawer had opened itself again. That drawer is open again, Lynn pointed out. Whatever it is, it plays with the drawers and cabinets at night, Mama said. Marlene spoke up. Could it be my father? It doesn't feel like you, Lynn replied. As Lynn got into the garage, Lola was, Lola was pulling in. She had brought some food for Marlene. She stopped and spoke with Lynn for a few minutes. Lynn told Lola about what had just transpired and why she was leaving so suddenly. Things like that have been happening a lot lately, Lola said. The shadow's a regular guess. Lynn reassured Lola she would talk to Bill about returning soon. With the new information Marlene had about Lola's criminal record, she had enough leverage for her attorney to drop papers for Lana to sign to take her name off the deed to the house. Marlene threatened to expose Lana and report her to the police if she didn't sign. Lana signed and moved out by Mother's hand. Bill and Lynn went back and cleared the home. A lot of the negative influences had left with Lana. Nevertheless, it still took hours to clear, but it has been clear ever since. Hugh has gone home as well. He's finally at peace. Okay, that's it. We're going to stop there. Um, this chapter continues with with another another person, Sophie. In fact, you know what? I need to write that. I can keep a minute over that. But I thank you guys for coming today. I, I appreciate it. Um, again, excuse me. Let me inch up here. I will be back Sunday to next Sunday to read. Not not tomorrow, but the following Sunday to read the last part of the book. And I think we should be pretty close to the end. Maybe. We'll see. But uh, thank you all on TikTok for coming. Thank you all on Facebook. Thank you all on YouTube for coming. I really appreciate it. Um, thank you for the uh, likes up there. I see over there on Facebook. Thank you, or, or, or wherever those likes came from. On StreamYard, my screen. But uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I will see you guys on TikTok sometime during the week. Because we have, you know, this is the only show we do. We do shows Sunday through Friday. Uh, Sunday uh, Sunday is the reading day. Uh, today is this time. Sunday is the usual reading day. And then Monday through Friday, we have different different types of paranormal guests on the show. So uh, if you want to check us out during the week at youtube.com forward slash at California House Radio, that would be great. Um, coming up on Monday at 6.30 p.m., uh, Patty, Patty, I can't say the name, Patty Negri. Negri. I was thinking Handyman Negri, you know, from Mr. Rogers. Pat, Patty Negri is going to be with us, and she's going to be talking about old world, old world magic in conjunction with natural elements. That's what it is. Old world magic in conjunction with natural elements. So we're going to be talking about that. So uh, that'll be tomorrow. That'll be Monday at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. All right, guys, I'm going to bug out of here, and I hope you had a great evening. Uh, TikTok, I'm going to relieve you right now, and see you guys later. All right, back over here. Thanks for coming. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys Monday live. Have a great, let's see what we got going on here. Let me read this up. Okay. Have a wonderful evening, you guys, and have a great rest of your weekend. See ya.